All right. Lesson four, special delivery with care in the phrase or the section of the God do you care. Continuing on the lesson for this fall Bible study hour. It started as the summer Bible study hour. And as you can tell, with the weather we have right now, it is now fall and bordering on winter. So um, for what it's worth, it doesn't really matter the season. The, the most important thing is that all of us are gathering together to seek the Lord and hear what the Lord says to us. Amen. That's the most important thing. So starting up with the lesson, and we're going to kind of ease into this and go through material, and I want you to uh, just be prayerful, again, from a standpoint of this class being a class that's educational as far as being effective disciples for Christ and knowing the mindset of people that we're going to come across, and we're going to come across a very real example of that uh, in this lesson, that you have to be, have to be, have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in all conversation with people who are hurting. You can especially relate to this because all of you have been hurt at one point or another. Amen? Amen. You've been, you know, guys are, you know, guys kind of play it cool. They don't really talk about it very much. Women will express themselves more than guys do. But every guy in this room has been hurt at one time or another by something or someone. And it's just the way we're wired that we don't typically uh, express that. But the hurt is real. The pain is real. It's things that we go through are real, and we have to deal with those things when it comes to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't deal with it, we won't progress. We won't get better as people. So we have to deal with it, and we need to reckon with it. And even if we don't have all of the answers, we can take solace in God's comfort in the midst of all of that. Let's start with the lesson. J.R., of course, refers to Jennifer Rothschild. Those are pieces of material that she has in this lesson, and the ones that say MG are my interjections midway through the lesson. So don't let that throw you. We'll just keep going with the flow. Jennifer says, Newsflash, blindness makes me tired. My friend Karen once told me that I make blindness look easy. I laugh because it isn't easy at all. Yet, she said that people only see the polished result of all the raw refining that comes with blindness. I share this with you because I want you to know I get it. I understand how trials and hard stuff can make us frustrated and feel defeated. Sometimes our fatigue is greater than our faith. It takes perseverance to keep wrestling with the missing pieces. I was working in my mother's house, this is me, getting it ready for sale, and one of the tasks at hand was to change the old wood toilet seats in each of the bathrooms for newer white ones. In all three of the bathrooms, the old toilet seats looked as though they had not been touched in years. In fact, the screws holding the seats in place were corroded, and there was an extreme risk that they would be stripped as I was trying to get the old seats off. After struggling mightily with the first one using a screwdriver and pliers, it came off after about 20 minutes of sweat equity. The second one was a little easier. In fact, the screws were getting stripped but came out with more downward pressure. And by now, my hand and wrist were killing me. Finally, the last toilet seat was the worst yet. After toiling for several minutes, one side did not come off and the screw was hopelessly stripped beyond usefulness. My wife reminded me of the trick that you could use a rubber band to put, provide friction between the screwdriver head and the stripped screw. But by that time, I was so wiped out that I told her I'll get back to it later. 
It took a day for my hand to come back from oblivion as well. Pain comes in different forms. And if it is too intense, it can be debilitating and require you to take a break for a period, just like I did. When I get a migraine, and thankfully I haven't gotten one in many years, I had to go and lay down in a dark room and try to sleep. I could not do anything for fear of throwing up and feeling even worse. I honestly don't know how some people who get migraines often can function, but this is a testament that pain can affect people differently. Each of these previous examples reflect physical pain, but we can agree that emotional pain, when it becomes too intense, can also be debilitating. Amen? Emotional pain is, in many ways, perhaps worse than physical pain. Because it's not something that you can always put your finger on and say, point to a certain thing. You know, if your back is hurting, you know your back hurts. Amen? Because your back tells you over and over again, I hurt. But emotional pain is a little bit different than that. But it still can be quite debilitating. The story that Jennifer will be sharing after this will be quite startling, if not shocking. This is a disclaimer. It will challenge your way of thinking about pain and how we wrestle with God's moral will and sovereign will. For those of you who are with us in the previous lesson, you know that we talked about God's moral will and sovereign will. That's a big issue in this class. We have to look at those things and see where those things affect us. Please feel free to discuss the upcoming story openly and ask questions. Sometimes we want our powerful, caring Father God to deliver us from pain. We can wonder, since He is powerful and caring, why won't the Deliverer deliver? Or maybe a better question is, why does the Deliverer do His delivering in such a mysterious way? God reveals himself through his word, but it is up to the spirit to help us to interpret it correctly. And even then, he still operates at a higher level than that which we can fully comprehend. And the reason for that simply is that we are human and he is Lord. He's operating on, out of being Lord, God, creator, and we're human beings. And we're not always going to understand everything. Now, understand Understanding is something that I want to share with you that's very important here. God gives us what we need to have reasoning and understand situations. But we don't understand everything. So if someone comes around saying, well, this whole thing about God working in mysterious ways is some sort of a trick because God does give us reasoning and ability to understand things, well, we're talking about two different things. We could not handle everything if God gave it to us right now. Amen? You couldn't handle it. You really couldn't. He gives us what we need. Let's go to Isaiah 55, chapter 8, or Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. I know what I'm saying. Isaiah 55. Yeah, Mrs. Gaines, I think you're right. You know, today might be a, a great time to take a break and take a nap. <laughs> I ain't too proud to say it. Isaiah 55, verses, chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. 
Still couldn't say it right. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, we know this verse because we've heard this verse before. And this has everything to do with God's moral authority and his sovereignty. This verse encapsulates that. Because there are things that we see happening in our lifetimes we don't understand. We don't know why they're happening. We don't know why bad things happen to good people. But that's exactly what this verse is telling you. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We have to look at it for what it is. A great example of that is in 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel, chapter 16. We're not going to read the entire section here about where Samuel encounters David for the first time. But we need to understand that we operate in many, many, many situations on appearances. Amen? We do a lot of things based upon what we see, but we have to be aware that we can't always go by appearances. Amen? Verse 6 in chapter 16. When they came... He looked upon Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He was going by the appearance of Eliab. This is Samuel speaking. Surely this guy must be the guy that the Lord is talking about who's going to be king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. Never forget this statement. The heart is very important, and we're going to encounter this a little bit further on in the lesson about looking at the heart of individuals. This is why we as Christians cannot openly say that everyone that we come in contact with who is in church and is going through the deal here and doing this and serving that, we can't automatically conclude that person is saved. We have a preponderance of the evidence that might lead you to make a conclusion like that, but ultimately God is the only one who knows the heart of that individual, and if they're here truly to serve the Lord, or if they're here just for brownie points, or if they're here just because they want to be part of a club. Only God knows the heart of those individuals. And I'm very prayerful about my actions when it comes to what I'm doing to make sure that I am truly focused on what the Lord would have me to do. That's just me. But that should be all of you as well, too. You should always be seeking after Him, always be looking towards Him, always be prompted, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what is the next thing I should be doing? And we can go through our entire lives and not ask that question. And not ask the question. 
But if you are truly looking to seek after doing what the Lord would have you to do, you need to ask the question. You need to be asking and praying. It's in prayer you ask and seek after Him. Because we have trouble sometimes with discernment about a person's intentions. We sometimes don't see the heart of the individual because it's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to see the heart because we are deceived by what? Our own hearts. We're in flesh. We may have intentions of doing good, but we wind up might be doing some things that are completely against God's will. J.R., back to her again. I want to share with you a hard story about God's care and deliverance. This is a hard story. I'm warning you right now. Be prepared. In, it was 1983, and I was on a college choir tour <clears throat> with First Baptist Church West Palm Beach. Sherry and I had been sharing a room on tour, and we were also sharing clothes and secrets. Lots of us girls at Palm Beach Atlantic College and FBC were close, and that's why our tour was abruptly interrupted and completely deflated when we got the news about our friend Regina. Regina didn't come with us that year on tour. She went home when spring semester ended. She was a vivacious redhead who truly always smiled. Of course, I couldn't see her smile, but I could hear it and I could feel it. She was warm and kind, and it was so clear that she really loved God. Page 2. Our director waited until after our concert to tell us what happened to Regina. She had been riding her bike, as she always did, in a park near her home. She was attacked, raped, and strangled. She was left unclothed in some brush in the park. This was our dear, sweet friend. It wasn't a character on a TV crime show. It was Regina. We were all shaken and disheartened. If this could happen to Regina, then does God really care about anyone? She loved it. Now, you have to understand, this is an emotional response to a very tragic death. She loved him. Why didn't he deliver her? On the bus after the concert, those were the questions intertwined with the tears. Our tour ended too late for us to attend her funeral. When I got home, I sat in the living room with my dad. I couldn't hold back tears as I retold what Regina endured. I kept asking him, how could God let her go through that? Have you ever asked that question about you, you or someone else's, your or someone else's painful circumstance. You know, in other words, if you've gone through pain or difficulty, have you asked that same question? How could God let me go through this? What circumstance prompted the question? Now, those are, those are questions that you have to just simply ask yourself and make notes about. Now, here's me. To this day, I still have trouble reckoning with a brilliant childhood friend who attended Gilmore High School and was preparing to go to college at Massachusetts Institute of Technology on a full scholarship. But he died on a senior trip when he fell out of a canoe and drowned. I did attend his funeral, and it was a surreal experience. And we have to understand that, logically, here this guy was going to be brilliant. He was going to live a life of brilliance. If you get a full scholarship at MIT, you've got some brains. And here he was, he dies before he even gets there. A quick note about sudden unexpected deaths in the Bible. 
Rachel died in childbirth while giving birth to Benjamin. That's in Genesis 35, verses 16 through 20. And Ezekiel's wife dies. For those of you who are reading in the uh, two-year Bible plan, you maybe have just passed Ezekiel and you read about that, where that's in verses 24, uh, chapter 24, verses 15 through 17. You have to know that there was extreme grief experienced by Jacob and Ezekiel. But we only know of Jacob's regret for burying Rachel in Canaan on the way to Ephrath, Genesis 48:7. And God told Ezekiel to not lament or weep or let your tears flow. Groan quietly. Do not observe mourning rites for the dead. Even though we have these examples, it doesn't reconcile with us as to how much pain they had to endure. They lost their wives. It's a big deal. All we read about is the historical account of it. But we have very little that we can put our fingers on as far as how they actually experience it. And I just pulled this into the lesson because these are guys that had to be grieving about losing their wives. But even with Ezekiel, God told him not to grieve publicly because it was part of a greater plan of communicating with the people of Israel about their wickedness. Back to J.R. As for the question above in the bold, that's so hard, isn't it? After all, God promises to deliver us, and clearly he didn't. At least that's how I felt. Now check this out. In Dad's attempt to console me, he, spoke, he quietly spoke in his gentle southern drawl, She didn't go through it. His statement startled me. She went from it. He explained how God sometimes protects us from awful things so we never have to endure them, which we always are thankful for. Amen? That's a form of his deliverance. Sometimes God delivers us by rescuing or healing us. Sometimes God brings us successfully through hard things. That's also a form of his deliverance. But sometimes, out of his great care for his children, he delivers us out of the horror and into his glory. That's tough, but that's true. Unlike some of us, who, if we lived through such agony, would have a marred and awful memory, God compassionately took Regina out of that situation into his presence. She was brought from it, out of it, and into glory where no tears, no crying, and no pain exist. The only scars, <clears throat> pardon me, are the ones on the hands of Jesus. I now think of Regina as she should be remembered. She's not a victim. She's a victor. That's tough to read. The question remains, did God really deliver her as he promises? Now my challenge to you I want this story to challenge you to think less about the temporal things in life and more about God's eternal purpose for you and for all of us. We are always caught up in what is temporal. Why? That's life. We go from day to day. We have a day-to-day existence, don't we? We get up every morning. We, some days we get up and we, and we don't have a headache. We don't even think about the fact we don't have a headache. We just go on with our life. Some days we get up and we have a headache. Oh, I've got a headache. I've got to take something for that. That's all temporal stuff. That's all temporal stuff. And it's not, a, not meant to be a, a joke. That's just who we are. 
That's how we live. But we need to look at something like this story and see that there is a greater eternal purpose that all of us are part of. This is a challenge for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I noted 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because this is the entire, the entire chapter is what we're, we're going to be discussing here. By the way, if you've ever had grits with butter and bacon bits inside of them, this is like the best stuff ever. No, I don't have enough for everybody. I got enough right here. <laughs> I'm giving it to you for future reference. <laughs> don't start. You can go to the store and get some grits. Okay. I didn't do anything. I was talking about how good the grits and the bacon bits are. Thank you. Let's start with verse 1 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or, or to tamper with God's word. But by the opening st open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Excuse me, I'm reading from the ESV version. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is our eternal purpose. This is our purpose for all eternity. This is what we do. This is what we are going to do and be involved in for the rest of our life, here and the life thereafter. Do you get that? Not just here. But even in the life thereafter, you're going to be praising God afterward when you leave here. It's an eternal purpose. I want you to think in those terms, especially when we look at stories about people who have gone through unimaginable pain and suffering or have even been killed. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 
Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about when we leave here. That's what he's talking about. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What's the purpose? More and more people are being touched by this message about Jesus Christ. And that it may increase thanksgiving, which means you'll have more and more people praising and thanking God for his deliverance. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see that? The things that we see are transient. We have four seasons every year. It's a very vivid example of what we're talking about. Spring, summer, fall, winter. And what has to happen spring, summer, fall, and winter? You have birth. You have death. You have renewal. And then the cycle happens all over again. It's all transient. But that's what we see. That's what we experience on a day-to-day basis. That's what we know about from our experiences with other people. We're in that time of our lives where we see more and more people around us who are passing away. And that's because of how old we are. And it's just going to keep going on and going on. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And this all comes down to what is unseen requires what? Faith. It requires faith. It's a requirement to even have the ability to understand what this eternity thing is all about. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Fill in the rest of the stories below to see how God delivers us. Now, keeping in mind the story about Regina, you're going to see different stories here about how God delivers us. And remember, again, just reminding you about God's moral will and God's sovereign will and how he operates is far above and beyond our own understanding. Go to 2 Kings chapter 6. Sometimes the best way to see how what God is saying to us is look at his word. Look at what his word says about it. This is about God delivering Elisha and the Israelites. Verse 15 in 2 Kings 6. <clears throat> when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around 
Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Who says prayer is not powerful? You need to see this example. When you are praying in accordance to God's will and according to righteousness, He will answer prayer. Period. He's not going to go against His will. He's going to, if you're praying in righteousness according to His will, He's going to answer it. Now, this is an extreme example, but so what? It applies to you too. Verse 19. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. So when we talk about deliverance, you fill in the blank. God delivered Elisha and the Israelites how? What had to happen? Pardon? They had to see that there was God's protection right there. What, what were the men? They were chariots of fire. They just appeared? No, God had, did, had to do that, of course. But the key component of that was what? It was prayer, wasn't it? Elisha didn't do anything other than pray to God, and God answered his prayer. That's a form of deliverance. All right, let's go to the next passage, Isaiah 38. I want you to see these different examples. Isaiah 38, verses 1 through 5. Here's one that some of us may be able to relate to. Because some of us get sick. Amen? Verse 1. Isaiah 38, 1. I'll wait for you to get there. While I have another delicious bite of grits and bacon. Mm. That's okay. I wasn't saying that to do a guilt trip on anybody. Yes, you were. <laughs> I really wasn't. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I started a war, I know. Well, let that not be the takeaway for this lesson. Amen? Then <laughs> I'm glad that we all have a sense of humor. Thank you. Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Now, wait a minute. That's a pretty deep statement, isn't it? But, listen to me very carefully. Many doctors have told patients the same thing. Same thing. If you don't have any hope and they don't see it, 
based upon an analysis of where you're at, they're going to tell you the same thing. This is more true to life than you can imagine. But now there's something greater here that you have to see. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Now, we just went through this with Elisha. Prayed to the Lord, verse 3, and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Look at the key words there. Faithfulness. Walked with a whole heart. Then the word of the Lord came to his Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. And does not God do the exact same thing for people that we know where they may have been given a death sentence or something where it's very quick. And yet there is a miraculous healing that takes place that extends the life of that person. This is too real of an example for you not to miss this. Fifteen extra years to the life, to that person's life. And fifteen years when you get a death sentence is a long time. You dug on straight. But what did it have to be? What it had to happen? God had to answer the prayer. Of Hezekiah based upon what? Faithfulness and righteousness. He does want the best for his people. And he does respond to prayer. Now, we also got to come back and circle back and say this is one form of deliverance. Sometimes he doesn't do it this way for everyone. We're going to see other examples of this as we go on. But he does do it in his sovereignty. There's some. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray. Amen? Because he does it for some and not for others does not mean you shouldn't be praying about it. Well, he did it for so-and-so, but I don't know if he's going to do it for me. Well, now you're just being foolish about it. Yeah. Pray for other people, Absolutely. This is a vivid example. I know my wife is probably thinking about this right now. A vivid example of our friend Brent who is in rehab. And he is, he just turned 60. But we just want to get him through Christmas. Because he's in rehab now to try to get more strength. And he is going to have an experiment. Is it experimental? I guess it's a very expensive drug that is going to, it's a, $10,000 doses of uh, this for three weeks that he's going to have to have to try to beat back this cancer. And frankly, the doctor did say if this doesn't work, then there's not much else they can do. So this is where the prayers need to come in, right?
he's been very despondent. He has been struggling. He is a, in his former life, he was a uh, Seventh-day Adventist. He knows of God, but his relationship personally with him, we would have to say, is struggling right now. Because of the fact that he knows that he probably is not going to get through this. But that doesn't stop me and Lynn from praying for him and his family and everybody else. And there are a lot of people who are praying for him. And so we have to go with that. And pray that he gets the message and pray that he gets what he needs to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's the prayer. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. You are right on the three. If you're reading in the two-year Bible plan right now and you're following it, uh, you're right at the threshold of this uh, passage in Daniel. Um, It's going to come up probably within the next day or two. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A bad Negro. Now, I'm not going to use, uh, that's, that's Tony Evans' uh, way of describing it, so just so you know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And he's talking about worshiping the god of Nebuchadnezzar, some gold statue, whatever it is. And when they play music, you're supposed to bow down and worship this god that Nebuchadnezzar put up there. Nebuchadnezzar was a nutcase. You have to read how he just responds angrily and does things out of just lashes out. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve our gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury... Now, this is satanic. I'm going to let you know, when you have responses like this that are so extreme, it borders on satanic. And you have to read later on how God got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar and what he had to do to him to get him thinking the right way. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Reshach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they were serving in his cabinet. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, not just one time. Seven times more. Because he wanted to make sure that these guys were cooked. There wasn't any coming out of it. It was so bad, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound to the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound to the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. (laughs) What else would you say to the king? 
because he's crazy, but it is true that that we put in three guys. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Praise the Lord. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Now understand something. This was for Nebuchadnezzar. Does everybody understand that? He had to see this son of God or the gods, whatever, however you declared it, it was something different about that fourth figure. Verse 27, And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Verse 28, Now, now understand something. Look at all the people who saw these guys weren't even touched by this fire who burned up the other soldiers that put them in there. You know how it is when there's fire damage. You smell smoke. You know that there's a burning smell in whatever you have that's touched. You've got to throw it out. You can't keep it. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Why is he talking about angel? Nebuchadnezzar now talking about an angel. And delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. So for that moment, he seemed to get it. And then after that, if you read on, he makes a decree about not worshiping any other god other than the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But how do you think the guys felt who saw them come out of that furnace? See, we don't have an account of that. But I guarantee you, they were affected. We don't have an account. We don't know what it is, but they saw what everybody else saw. Did you see that? I sure did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How are these guys walking out of there? That's right. Exactly. And they came out not on their own. They came out because the king called them out, told them to come out. They didn't come out like, it's too hot in here. No, they didn't do that. (laughs) They came out because the king told them to come out. Otherwise, they stayed in there for as long as whatever. So God delivered the three young Hebrew men, how? By putting a shield over them because they were righteous and faithful and he chose to set an example and show everyone there who were pagans, pagans, thou shalt not worship any other god before me. That's what we had to see here. 
But that was the deliverance, that was through the deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, we're almost out of time, but you can kind of see where this is going with this next passage here in Acts 6, verses 8 through 15, and chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. And the hint there, look what it says, God delivered Stephen. Now, we know what happened to Stephen. We know what happened to him. And we know that he had a big... Stephen was just an ordinary guy who was able to speak to all the people. He was a guy who was around in ministry. He was part of like a food ministry. Like, you know, you have a food bank type thing. He was part of a food ministry. That's what his role was, to help feed people. He was not a big shot. Far from it. But he loved the Lord. And he was empowered by the Spirit to speak that day to the people. And yet, God delivered him. So think about that. Now you can read this passage, and we'll come back to it next week, but this is a good place for you to, to stop and reflect upon the story that Jennifer Rothschild told about Regina and how she was brought from it. And now look at this story with Stephen. Do you think, let me ask you this question, do you think Stephen doesn't know what's about to happen to him? I think he knew. I absolutely think he knew. You know why? Because he was able to look directly to the Lord in heaven right before he left. Some things are unmistakable. And some things will give you strength at that moment when you're about to leave here. Yeah. Has the same effect. Mm -hmm. That's right. We're always praying for deliverance for people who are suffering. But we also know that suffering is a part of our existence. It's not something we can just get away from or say, you know, Look, the world, those who are in the world don't want to suffer for anything. We got that. We understand that. But suffering is part of our existence. And there's different ways of doing it, and there's different ways of encountering it. But remember, it says count it all joy if you're suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. Because you're going to suffer. Okay. This is a good stopping point. We'll pick up with this next week. Be prayerful as the Lord speaks to you this week about this very lesson, especially, you know, I, as sure as I'm standing here, you're going to be encountering people in the future that are going to go through all kinds of stuff, and you're going to have to be the one to talk to them. You need to be ready for it. You know full well about marriage counseling. Already being exposed to it from the, the things that you've done just very briefly since y'all have been married. But you have a lifetime experience that you can share. You're going to be encountering people that are going to be scuffling a lot. Be prepared for it. And again, be sensitive to the Spirit when you speak. And please make sure you say, well, it's because of God. Don't say, don't say because it's God's will or anything like that. Even if it is, it's not the right thing to say. Amen?
Father, thank you for this time you've given us to come together and discuss some very hard subjects and some hard truths about your deliverance, about how you operate, about how you see the heart of those individuals. Lord, we thank you that you do indeed answer prayer. You do indeed respond to us. You give us answers to prayer sometimes that we don't always like. Sometimes you say yes. Sometimes you say no. Sometimes you say wait. And that's tough. But yet we understand that this is all part of an eternal purpose. Help us to go beyond what is temporal and see what is eternal. And we thank you for strong faith. We thank you for building our faith, for helping us to understand these things going forward. Bless the upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. We'll see you next time.